I mean, if you think I, if you think I believe in vaccines. <laughs> We're going to talk about David Fincher. We're going to talk about his new movie, Mank, that came out December 2020. We're going to talk about the movie that it's kind of inspired by, Citizen Kane. And we're going to talk about Orson Welles and Herman J. Mankiewicz. The David Fincher. It's the Fincher episode. The Don. Just because I have to present as a nice person. Hope you're how are you and how's your week been? <laughs> now nah, week's been alright, man. It's just same old, same old staying at home. I've been going on a lot more walks and runs now. Uh, I can't ride a bike, so I'm trying to get some kind of form of um, exercise. <laughs> I'm very happy you said that. I don't actually say that like in public, but uh, I'm very happy you said that because I didn't know you did it. Like I, I never admit that in public because the smoke that I, I receive for that is too much. So I'm, I'm happy I'm not alone. I'm happy I'm not alone. This is the can't write Gosh, it by I, podcast. We <laughs> should change that name. Yeah. When I used to go into the office, I just used to get so much like George. Why? And before I could like drive, it's like why? Isn't the boss chilling out the bike? It's like no, I can't ride a bike. So like, you can't ride a bike, George. It's like Christ. Here we go again. It's like office wise shaving, but it's alright. I've been trying to learn for a while, but I just haven't been able to. So if anyone wants to teach me, I am available okay. to learn. That seems very intentional. That's like intentioned call-outs. Like you, you, you know who you're trying to ask to do that. But okay. Um, no, no, no. I've been trying to learn. <laughs> I think it's too late. I don't think you can learn at our age. I think, I think you learn when you're younger. If not, just forget about it. Oh, damn. Oh, pass me by. Stick to walking and driving. Okay, I could do that. Yeah. And swimming. Swimming? You can't swim? I can swim. I can swim. Because <laughs> that's the. I don't think you cannot not ride a bike and also not know how to swim. It's either one or the other, isn't it? You can't do both. If you do both, just, you know, stop. If you have ne- none, if you have yeah, neither, then you're in, real in trouble. trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. So, who are we talking about today then? We have kind of like a packed show today. We are discussing my favorite director working right now. David Fincher, we're dissecting Mank, we're demystifying Austin Wells, we're de... Give me something here, give me something here. <laughs> we are discussing. We're, we already said that, we already said that. We're de-understanding <laughs> Austin Wells and Citizen Kane. I'm sorry sufficiently impressed with my education. I'm sorry, I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends with I'm you. under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be Look, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. Because you're an I think he's probably up there for my favorite directors as well. And I mean, talk about the takes, and it's like, what the hell? How can you do 200 <laughs> takes of like the most basic, like walking into a room and you're doing 50 takes of that? Like, 
yeah. it's just insane when you think about it. But I think that just, you know, plays to his or explains his, you know, I mean, look, attention to detail. He is stupidly meticulous about detail and getting every single thing right. It's kind of it's, I mean, it's a joke. We're joking about it, and it's yeah, kind of like exactly. the myth of Finchers. I've obviously blown, but I don't think it's. First of all, it's not like it's not as if they do hundred takes of the exact same thing. Probably hundred hundred like different different coverage and stuff. But as an actor, you signed up to act. Like Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg, they did that incredible that first scene in Social Network. They did it ninety nine times because because yeah, and they both loved it. They, they, they both speak very highly about like you're actually just want to keep on doing it. and after like after a particular number you're like oh this is actually working i'm actually like getting better and i'm getting looser and i'm not being as self-conscious and i'm not after you do after you like you said walk into a room and drop your keys after you do that 40 times you're no longer acting like you're doing it you're just doing it which is what mm-hmm. fincher aims at you like he wants to remove that first level of acting but when you've done it 50 times it's just natural you're just doing it like it becomes it's obvious that it's, it's what you as the character has been doing, always. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time talking about. The, it's just a joke. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the whole ninety takes thing about Fincher. Um, I could spend an entire podcast just talking about the technical brilliance of David Fincher, like what he does in his films, what he does with his cameras, what he does with his colors, the camera, for example. No, actually, no. I'm not going to say it. I was going to say something, but I don't want. Someone to watch something that I do. I'm like, oh, you stole that from David Fincher. So I'm, I'm going to keep quiet there. Um, I mean, just all the time, innit? Tarantino like steals all the time. So no shame in that. Oh, yeah. Let's, I'm going to switch it. He's made 11 films, right? Out of those 11 films, four are absolute classics. Like, just classics. Seven, Fight Club, Zodiac, Social Network, right? Then you have two, which are probably classic or could be classics to like a, a group of people. Gone Girl could be considered a classic to a group of people. Mank. His films are really good. That's an incredible batting average. That's four absolute classics out of, out of 11 films. That's just... And like, there's, like I said, there's a lot about the intricate and the particular things about the films, about his filmmaking style that I really like. That's... Well, like, he doesn't like... He doesn't like handheld. <laughs> doesn't do handheld and he loves digital. I hate... I hate handheld. <laughs> I hate handheld so much. Personally, I just hate... Yeah, I think... I, all those movies I really like, and I guess I guess the four classics could be. I guess you're right on that in terms of just those four films just stand out on their own. Tell me what he was trying to achieve and how he you know brought about making them on what they have meant. You know how they have kind of aged perfectly. You know going forward, but yeah, I mean we spoke about the film technique as well and how he. I mean because he's quite. He has that attention to detail and he really wants to make sure a specific shot or a specific item or element in the story is shown. Like he's showing you something for a reason. And this is always to serve the whole purpose of the story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of nothing is a mistake, he's showing you something because he wants you, the audience, to see, look at this, look at this gun. Or look at this phone sliding under a bed. Panic room. That's panic room. Because <laughs> I want to show you this because this is going to be integral or important yeah. in the story going forward. And he films it in such a way that everything mm-hmm. flows perfectly and serves the story. Because at the end of the day, it's all about telling a good story in the best possible way yeah. that he can. And because of this, if he wants you 
as an actor for six months. He's going to use you mm -hmm. for six months and he's going to exhaust you for six months because he, at the end of the day, it's not like he's doing it just to, because he's like some, you know, secret masochist or something and he wants to drive you fucking insane. But he wants to get the best. Because at the end of the day, I mean, in about 50, 100 years, he'll probably be six feet under, but mm. that movie will live forever. And he wants to make sure that movie is the best possible movie he can make. So I think that's kind of what I like about him. He really respects, you know, filmmaking as a whole and does all his, you know, everything in his power to produce the best production that he can. Yeah. Something people don't really speak about is that Fincher always gets incredible performances from his actors. Yeah. Right. You talk about that with Scorsese. You talk about that with Tarantino. Well, I think it's a very underrated thing about Fincher. Uh, you'll be hard-pressed to deliver someone that gave a bad performance in a Fincher film. Ben Affleck had his career resurgence because he was in a Fincher, like, acting-wise, because he was in a Fincher film. Like, he gets great performance from his actors, and I think that's something that people never really... Because they look at him more just like the... The control freak, yeah. And there's something that Fincher does, which I realized very recently. I'm sure somebody listening to this probably already knew and, like, doesn't... But, like, what he does... So whenever you're watching a scene, right, if it's, if it's a wider shot, not everybody in that scene is from the same take. Do you get what I'm saying? So if there's a wide shot of, let's say, for, ex for example, I don't know what happened, but for example, if there's a wide shot of Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg in the breakup scene, right? Yeah. It's possible that Rooney Mara's, and they're both talking at the same time in the mm -hmm. wide shot, it's possible that Rooney Mara's shot is from take 15 and Jesse Eisenberg is from take 70. Yeah. And that's just like, that, that's ridiculous. Because like, I always just thought, okay, if it's a white shot, then it makes sense that everything that's happening there was like at the same time. That that shot is that reaction. And everything. Yeah, but like, yeah. he just, he just, yeah, man. Yeah, he, he's not afraid to employ, you know, digital techniques into his, you know, his um, filmmaking techniques. I mean, talk about Luddites like Christopher Nolan, who is like digital. No. No, I don't want. If it means, you know, crashing a plane in the middle of, you know, Northern England, I'll rather do that than, you know, I think Fincher, you know, can accept the fact that he can employ, and I think he's comfortable in himself that he can say, maybe you shouldn't, you know, we can employ some people, some computer scientists and do some, you know, good old CGI. You have that shot in Panic Room where, like, the stuff goes through the keyhole and stuff. You have that beautiful thing in Zodiac where, like, he uses the, the construction of the tower that passes the... He literally built, yeah, apparently the half of the budget of Zodiac was basically building up that city from scratch from because of CGI. And, like, every piece of blood in Zodiac is CGI. Oh, yeah. Because like he was like, if I'm gonna do 80 takes, I don't want you to keep on cleaning. But at the same time, there's a scene that had trees, and when he went to the set or the the location, there were no trees, so he flew he flew the oak trees in. Do you want to? I know do you want to talk about his music video days actually? So um back in the day, he before he actually started doing movies, he was a renowned the music director, he's the director for like Madonna and Paula Abdul, 
and and George Michael as well. I think one of like the greatest music videos of all time, and, and Michael Jackson. But I think like one of probably like one of like the most incredible and and influential music videos um, of all time is probably the you really love um, Freedom video, Ninety too. video by George Michael, which starred all the in quotes a good song. In quotes, like supermodels at that time. I think it was um, Naomi Campbell, like Cindy Crawford. I think Heidi was Heidi Klum there. Fucking super, super, supermodel knowledge, supermodel trivia. I'll probably fill that. But a couple of them, and apparently that was like really, um, like what's going on here? Where's George Michael? And just see all these supermodels all singing together. And that kind of all worked out for the best. But yeah, because of like his music videos, he then went into Aliens Three. Was chosen as a director for the third movie in the Aliens um, franchise, which worked out really well, didn't it, Banky? <laughs> <laughs> if you do not know, if you know David Fincher and you don't know, you've never heard him talk about Aliens 3, oh my God, please look it up, because 30 years later, this guy still hates his experience on that film. He talks about it like he was, he uses words that I cannot recreate on this podcast. Yeah. Well, it basically forced him out of filmmaking like he didn't make a movie for like four years i think yeah he, i mean he said some stuff about how he would rather get particular disease than direct another movie again because his experience on that movie was um just that amazing so <laughs> i think it's just like that you know this you have this problem all the time i think this was like a massive problem with um you know the fantastic four movie with michael b jordan where you've got studio mm-hmm. interference Mm-hmm. And I mean, what you set out to do is just completely different from exactly what the studio wants. And I think this has definitely reshaped or modeled him into the director that he is right now, where he is basically a control freak, like yourself. And okay, what's throwing <laughs> shots all the way? Now I'm joking. That was a ran- <laughs> random shot. Um, and how he uh, that wait, 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 do you have? Do you have any problems about your experience on this podcast? Do you feel like I'm treating every you every single damn day, man? <laughs> I would rather you tell me now than tweet something with a hashtag cancel bank or So just like if you have any problem with my with any experience, please let me know, please. Thank oh, you. nah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, how that experience for that movie just shaped into be the guy who wants to basically have an eye on everything, and how mm-hmm. if it's his picture that he's producing he wants it to be his picture so he wants everything to be exactly how he wants it which is probably Mm -hmm. why he's you know veered towards you know netflix and releasing the movie on a streaming platform but yeah yeah venture um i don't want to because we have other things to talk about i don't spend the entire episode just gushing about fincher but like i said he's my he's currently my favorite director working david fincher's filmography for anyone who doesn't know um, Aliens three, Alien three, then seven. That's the serial killer movie with Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, and and who? Uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> then he has the game, a really fun movie, really fun okay. popcorn movie. Then obviously Fight Club, the Fight Club, starring Brad Pitt and Ed Norton and Helena Bonham Carter. Panic Room, another just fun popcorn movie with Jodie Foster yeah. and a young Kristen Stewart. Zodiac. Arguably his masterpiece with this yep. pre Iron Man, Robert Downey, Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and it just a slew of like incredible character actors. The curious case of Benjamin Button, the one like 
we read that. I mm. haven't seen out of Finch's, Finch's filmography. Then obviously the social network. Then the girl with the dragon tattoo, a remake of the Swedish. Swedish, yeah. Yeah, another fun popcorn movie. Then obviously Gone Girl with um, Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck. And then recently Mank in 2020. He directed the first couple of episodes and started House of Cards. Mindhunter also yeah. on Netflix. And Love, Death and Robots. And also with, with House of Cards, Fincher is basically the reason Netflix is a thing. Whoa. Like, not only was House of Cards the main thing that put Netflix on the map, so many Netflix shows follow the aesthetic template of House of Cards. And what's right? that aesthetic template? It's that whole, like, blue, kind of sleek, cool Just, yeah. template. Cool as in, like, the colors, like, blue and, like, the way the camera moves. And that's... Now, obviously, with more creators coming in, people are trying to be more diverse. But for a long time, those, every Netflix show kind of followed that palette because it was like, this is what Netflix wanted to be branded as. And that was, that was Fincher. Fincher did the first two House of maybe even more House of Cards episodes and kind of set the, ten, set the template. So, speaking of Fincher, two days ago, it was announced that he's did another movie with Netflix, a serial killer film with Michael Fassbender returning to acting. Get me Nah. Michael Fassbender is like I'm, I'm done racing cars I'm com- going to come out act again I'm so excited for that That's, that should be very good did he have a kid? he have a kid did he? Well, Fassbender not that I know of maybe I don't know I don't follow his life like that I just know he was he quit basically quit acting to go and race cars he was like a professional race car driver which is like don't kill yourself um, yeah and I think the writer of Zodiac is writing the film or the adaptation it's based on like a what do you call it a graphic novel but yeah, Fincher, man, like, if anyone wants to... Okay, so let me let me throw this question to you. Who are your top three Let me throw Fincher this films? question to you. What are your top three David Fincher films? He throwing it back at me? <laughs> yes. Is that... What? Uno, I was not expecting Uno reverse card. Jesus. I, don't, I, have, I haven't got any reverse cards on me to play back to you. Okay. Um, I'll probably say one, Social Network, because mm. that's like, Anyone that knows me just knows, like, watch the social network. It's, like, one of the crowning achievements of cinema. And just the way it, just the way it kind of talks about today in general and how it's aged, it just has a different meaning from when it first came out. Yeah, that's um, mm-hmm. social network number one. Two, Zodiac, because I enjoy the process of mm. that movie. That movie is kind of like, it's basically a documentary. I think if it came out today, it would probably be a... TV show, I, I think. Get four parts. Probably like a five, four, five part minute. Exactly. Yeah. And just the way he was able to come, you know, that detail, that level of detail. And you know how, you know, you watch all these, you know, doc, um, TV proce- police procedurals and it's just, they look at one cop and they'll be like, oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's how the, that's how it happened. The, the, the micro, so, the micro effect. The micro effect is like, what? I, I, you know, you see, <laughs> oh, because I was watching, um, was it The Mentalist or Sherlock, one of these shows, and it just, you look at something and it's like, you know, <laughs> that light bulb moment, and it's just like, this doesn't make sense. I think Zodiac was one of those things where, those movies where this is kind of like, or oh, this is how I think, mm. you know, detective work and police procedurals actually are just the frustrations of, um, of the investigation, the toll it has on your families and your loved mm, ones, mm-hmm. the 
um, the attention of you know the press as well, and just the general paranoia of how you know because I think back in the day around was the seventies I think Zodiac was based mm-hmm. on yeah. 70s, 60s to 80s, 69 to 80s. Yeah, six, yeah, around that period in time, just the whole concept of a serial killer was still quite new. Which is interesting because there was no name for serial killer when Zodiac was happening, but Mindhunter is kind of the development of that name, serial killer, so they're, exactly. they're a good accompanying piece. Exactly. So Zodiac 2, 3, 3 is a tough one. You know what, wait, let's talk, let's talk more about Zodiac. Let's talk more about Zodiac. Um, so, because I rewatched it recently, mainly for this podcast, Zodiac starts happening in like the the Zodiac killer really comes out in like I think late sixty nine, early seventy. I think late sixty nine, but he has, he has already killed yeah. some people by then. Which means that in the same year in California, the Zodiac killer was killing people while Charles Manson's people were killing people in the same nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, that's so scary, man. Like. That's so wild. And there was that thing um, of how he would, uh, you know, he said he was going to shoot up a school bus. Yeah. And for about, you know, the next two weeks, every just see parents just taking their kids back and forth to school because so, just the, the weight of fear. Yeah. So Fincher has a has a great anecdote about, about that, apparently. So... Because the thing about Fincher and Zodiac is that he grew up in San Francisco, so he around this time, so he kind of lived with the whole yeah. loom of the Zodiac killer. So, which is why I think he was very invested in, in this film. But yeah, that was his boogeyman, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So he says one day he's coming back home on the school bus, and like there's there are police cars around and everything, and then he goes back home to see his dad, who was a writer and who also wrote Mank. I'm going to talk about it later. So his dad was a stay-at-home writer. So his dad's like, oh, how was school? And he's like, oh, yeah, it was fine. But on our way back, like, we had a police escort for our, our school bus. And then his dad's like, yeah. dad, like, very laid back. His dad's like, oh, is that because of the Zodiac Killer? And Fincher is like, what? You knew about this? Fuck? And you let me go to yeah. school? Like, like, Fincher's like, you knew about this threat and you did not come pick me up? What is wrong with you? But, um, yeah, Zodiac, it's like, I... I, like I said, I really would. I watched it recently, and it's. What is your better? Let's divide the movie into two because the movie is like twenty half hours, right? What's your better half? So that's a good question. Oh, that's a fucking curveball. Probably the second. Second, half. yeah, me too. Second half is my better half. Second half, because it's not really a movie where I mean you do see the murders happen, but it's not about that. It's about, I mean, it's about the, just. You know the procedure aspect of it, procedure, and as well as the obsession of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who and um, Downey. Well, all of them, to be fair, all of them. Yeah, I'll probably say more of more of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, more of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, where he he just had to know who the Zodiac was, mm-hmm. and that you know element of obsession, and that just completely changed him. I mean, it changed all of them. But I think the others, I mean, fucking Downey was a mess in the movie. And Wait, let's clarify that we mean the character was a mess. The character, Downey, the character. Downey was an incredible performance. Yeah, just saying, like, that element of obsession was, and just, you know when you're, <laughs> you know when you just have, like, your, you're, you're trying to do work, right? Mm. And you put your phone 
kind of like in the corner of the room. Yeah. And you know that like, someone's about to text you some juicy shit, right? But you have to work. And you just know that shit, like, I don't want to check my phone, but I have to check my phone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to check my phone, but I shouldn't. They just end up checking your phone at the end of the day. I think that's, that was probably how this, how this, um, this. Robert Graysmith. Robert Graysmith, thank you. Just that element of obsession cranked to like a thousand, basically. Yeah. That he just couldn't rest until he found out or he had a faint idea of who the Zodiac was. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah, because I kind of imagine the film as divided into the three three different sections. So the first is a serial killer yeah. film, but it's not really a serial because we don't really just we don't follow the serial killer. We just see different killings by the serial killer. So it's a serial killer film. Yeah. Then, it, then it becomes a detective film. I think that's where it becomes it. That's why I start enjoying it. Like when when it's Mark Ruffalo yeah. and his partner just going around and everything. And then after that, they hand off the pattern to Jake Gyllenhaal, and it becomes a journalist film. He's like. He's reading through stuff. He's going to the library. He's trying to figure out stuff. So Gyllenhaal is yeah, yeah. is is the star of the last hour of the film, undoubtedly, right? Who do you think is the star of the first yeah. the first part, like the first ninety minutes? Downey or Ruffalo? I really enjoyed Ruffalo. I think I really enjoyed Ruffalo out of everybody in that movie. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. That's probably the person that I I was like. Fuck me, this is a really good performance. Ruffalo is such a good actor, man. I feel like he's exactly. so underrated. I like Ruffalo in everything I see him in. Exactly. He's just one of those, but like the whole mannerisms of him being a cop, just how he's able to, you know, his body language, the voice, his tones. Yeah. yeah. Um, Down is really good in this film. And I, anyone that's watching Zodiac for the first time, be like, oh, he's just doing Tony Stark or like Sherlock. Well, like, he obviously did this before he did those things. And, like, I, I'm i paraphrasing, but Jake Gyllenhaal was, like, some actors who have five ideas in a movie, like, during rehearsals. Downey has 50 in a, in a scene. Downey could be on Fincher's 78th take, and it's like, I have an idea. Um, What's your favorite scene of the film? The interrogation with, with the... Arthur Lee yeah, Allen. Arthur Lee Allen, yeah. Oh. Like our, our wavelength is is simpatical because that's that's mine as well. So I think I think the thing about serial killers is like they want, I mean they kill people, but they want some recognition or they want some kind of attention mm-hmm. towards them, but not too much attention. I think we call it just enough attention to know that they're there. And in this, he's basically mm-hmm. toying with all three cops who are interrogating him, saying, you know. Um, I had a knife in my trunk. I no, it is. A, it is. A, I had a knife. It was like the blood on the knife is from like like, like the what the what on the what? Where'd that come from? Also, that day when I came home, my neighbor saw me. It was around four, but I forgot to tell the other officer that. Neighbor's name? Bill White. He died a week or so afterwards, heart attack. So I didn't think to call to follow up. The knives I had in my car with the blood on them, that blood came from a chicken that I killed for dinner. What? I had knives in my car that weekend. Maybe Bill saw them and called the other officer on me. Well, we'll be checking in on that. Uh, Let me ask you something else. (laughs) You're blowing a knife. Like, no one asked me any questions about anything. Just brought your blood and knife, and they're like, then once that happens, right, you kind of see the camera all like the camera changes, and it's kind of it kind of gets a bit mm-hmm. more intense. There were 
you know, the money shots when he's like. So you aren't angry about being fired from Valley Springs for touching your students? I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Boom, close up. And it's just like, okay, fuck, this is like... That Arthur Lee interview is my favorite scene of the, of the film as well. My follow-up to that would be um, at the end with um, Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal in the diner. That was, that was, that was a very good scene as well. It's all coincidence aside, Robert. How can you be sure that Lee Allen is a Lee from this file? Now, Vallejo is a small town, but it's not that small. How do you put the two of them together? This is a case that's covered both Northern and Southern California with victims and suspects spread over hundreds of miles. Would you agree? Yes. Darlene Farron worked at the Vallejo House of Pancakes on the corner of Tennessee and Carroll. Arthur Lee Allen lived in his mother's basement on Fresno Street. Door to door, that is less than 50 yards. Is that true? I've walked it. Jesus Christ. Who's your favorite serial killer? Are you mad? <laughs> I actually... Ted Bundy? Yes, I actually no? don't know serial killers. I don't follow... I, I, I've watched it lots because, like, they're quite good. Like, Mindhunter and this and that. But I don't, I don't really... In my like in my spare time, I don't know serial killers by name. I don't I don't know I don't know that. Yeah, like you know the Yorkshire Ripper, then you know Jack the Ripper. Like I know these guys just by their name. I can't tell you what they did or where they, when they were active. Ted Bunny, I think Ted Bunny was like the quite, um, I think it was like quite charming serial killer. Yeah, he's like the um girls from I think the Washington area. Yeah, I'd follow them and just yeah. I also didn't know, or I forgot how definitive this movie was. Like, I always just thought it was, like, very open-ended. And it is for the characters. But the movie is not afraid to tell you who he thinks was the, was the Zodiac. So that's a good point. That's a good point to, to, to bring up in terms of when you're retelling, when you're telling your version of, of a real-life event, of a fact. Yeah. And Fincher isn't afraid to say... I think, well, he doesn't really say this was the serial killer per se. He leaves the question open-minded. You know, what do you as the audience feel? I've shown you what I think is right, but he's left, he kind of gives the audience enough leeway to make that decision for yeah. themselves. Well, I think the, the movie definitely thinks Arthur Lee Allen was, was, was the Zodiac. Like the movie, as the movie says, like it was the Zodiac. Yeah, I, the, the, I guess the, the guy who at the end, you know, picks his name out. And, Major, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Simpson in an incredible just came in one, one scene Jimmy Simpson but I, he also does that for don't bring it up again but I, social network doesn't he yeah but I think that resolution has kind of taken on a different form because of what has happened in the last 11 years since social network came out right mm -hmm. I don't think we make the same conclusion in 2010 as we do now in 2021 but we're going to talk about social network next episode. We, we we're going to, if it was unfair to talk about it on the, on the Fincher episode, but it just this episode is quite packed. So we're talking about social network next episode. John Carroll Lynch, who plays um, Arthur Lee Allen, is very good. 
and he also is gonna is gonna appear in the a movie we're talking about next episode as well. Um, yeah, this is. I'm actually <laughs> we're taking too much time talking about Zodiac. I'm waffling so much that because I'm I'm still trying to figure out my top three in my head. What's your What's your third What's your third venture? It's a toss up between Seven and Gone Girl. Okay, so Fight Club doesn't make your top three, or rather your top four. My top four now. Uh, I I think I think Gone Girl was, I mean, Rosamund Pike, fucking incredible. It it kind of plays into that, you know. Do you really do you really know? Mm. Just like your perception of somebody, and how does that perception change? And how does your idea of your partner change? Uh, do you really know people? Just the whole dynamic. Don't you know dynamic. Sorry, don't feel the need to like talk a little about Gone Girl because I'm I can assure you we're gonna have a Gone Girl episode soon. I don't know when it's gonna happen. Okay. So, so don't feel like you have to talk about it as much now. We're gonna have a Gone Girl episode. I don't know when, but it's gonna happen hundred percent. Um okay, well so my top three, my top is social network. I've rewarded twice in the past Good year. Choice. And I'm just like this is this is just it's again we'll talk about it next episode. It's, sure, just, it's just it's, it's, it's different. It's different. Um my second I think my second is Gone Girl. I think my second is Gone Girl, not Zodiac, because there's just something about Zodiac. It's I love it, and I, I love rewatching it. But and even though I don't hate that first half, that first half just doesn't flow the way Social Network and Gone Girl flow. Slow. Social Network and Gone Girl just flow. And it's not it's not a fun. Let's be honest. It's not it's not a fun rewatch. Yeah, you have it's to. Very fun girl. I'm not like you have to. You know, concentrate and. This third one is difficult. This third one is difficult. I feel like it should be Zodiac. But at the same time, I think I've only seen seven twice, so maybe I need to see it again to 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 confirm. But for now, just because I saw Zodiac this week, I think I'll put Zodiac there. I think I'll put Zodiac as third. <laughs> or I'm hundred. I feel like if I watch Seven tomorrow, it will go above Zodiac. Um, yeah. So that's Fincher. I think we've spoken about. Um, we've spoken about our top three and honorable mentions. But yeah, my yours is obviously social network, then Zodiac and Gone Girl or Seven? What's your third? Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Mine is Social Network, then Gone Girl, then Um Zodiac. But could be upstaged by seven. We're gonna take a quick break and then when we come back, we're gonna talk about Orson Wells, the Wonderkind, and what people consider one of the greatest American films of all time, Citizen Kane. It's considered one of the greatest American films ever made. Several directors have spoken about how incredible it is, including Scorsese, Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola. And now it has the honor of being talked about on the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. It's Citizen Kane. We're talking Citizen Kane and Orson Welles. Um, Citizen Kane is a 1941 quasi-biographical film starring, produced, directed, and co-written by Orson Welles. The other co-writer is Herman J. Mankiewicz. Orson Welles was this 24-year-old phenom, the wonderkind, who had this weird deal where he was allowed to write, direct, produce, and star in his own films and work with whatever collaborator he wanted. And he created, or he came out with Citizen Kane. Yeah, Citizen Kane, man. Um, 
Let's talk about it. I have to admit, the first time I watched it was 2020. Honestly, the only reason I watched really? it came was because of was because of Fincher. So basically, Fincher said he's bringing that man, and I was like, oh, okay, fuck. So now I have to go and watch Citizen Kane because everyone's talking about how it's the best movie ever made and whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess now I have to go watch Citizen Kane since Mank's about it. Um, when did you watch Citizen Kane? I, yeah, so I watched Citizen Kane in either 2017 or 2018. It was just one of those things where you always hear it's the greatest movie of all time and you're thinking, what's the, what's the whole fuss about the movie? So you want to check it out yourself. I had tried to watch it about, you know, there have been two failed attempts to watch it, I'd say. I mean, it's one of those kind of movies where you can't really be checking your phone. You have to, it demands your, you know, attention. So you have to concentrate on everything, especially, you know, the dialogue, the the way things were, you know, filmed, just this whole story in general, unless you might miss something out. But yeah, probably 2017, you know, it was a Friday night, cracked up a couple of bottles and put the movie on. Do you think it's the greatest American movie ever made? So let's talk about that for a bit. The that I mean it's all it all depends on tastes. I mean, people all people, you know, prefer different kinds of movies. And even though even for a massively acclaimed movie as Citizen Kane, it's mm. you know, the phrase greatest movie of all time is quite a it's quite a massive it's quite a massive label. How are you so bold to just say it's the greatest movie of all time? That's just like I, I I just find it so interesting that people are able to say that. That's so weird. It was probably some marketing technique, you know, back in the days that. But I think you have to definitely consider about just the movie in general and how that movie was just like people went to that movie and were like, "What the hell is going on here? What am I watching? Mm. This feels like something from five hundred years into the future." And just all these new avenues that were explored. Yeah. From this you know, Wonder Kid who had never made a movie before and he just comes out. Never made a movie, never never acted in front of camera. Just comes out and brings out something, you know, like that. And it's... Yeah, I think I think that's, you're right. And I, my first takeaway when I watched it was that I can, I can see how this is a very influential movie, yeah. right? Yeah, and absolutely. this movie came out in ni- 1941. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this now and I'm not as enamored as... I would have been if I went to 1942, 1941, right? Because other things that it's doing, I've seen them, they've been done in the movies that I've watched since then, in the movies I've been watching all my life, mm-hmm. right? But the, the truth is that most of those things were taken from Citizen Kane, right? So Citizen Kane was the first thing to do, exactly. was the first movie to do so many of those things. So I can understand, I think that's the one argument for it being the greatest movie or the most influential movies, because like, anything that you're seeing in modern day movies came from Citizen Kane. And I think that's why it wasn't as much of an impact to me because obviously I've seen this happen before. So while they were fresh and new in 1941, they're not in 2021. Definitely. I mean, this is what 2020 and you're going, you know, 80 years back. It's pretty hard to, because you've definitely seen several, I don't want to say copies, but you know, other films have definitely been influenced by the movie. So it's really mm-hmm. hard for you to separate the fact that this was the one or this was one of the first ones that actually came to be or, you know, that brought about a whole new way of filmmaking and storytelling in general. And I know it's really hard to appreciate, you know, or to basically appreciate that fact that this was, you know, that film that basically brought every 
this whole kinds of filmmaking and storytelling yeah. to the timeline. I think when you go on, like I did, sorry, when you go on the Wikipedia for like Citizen Kane, it's like this long, it's so long about all the things that it did first. And you're like, oh, wow, that was the first movie to do that. It wasn't doing that, nobody was yeah. doing that before. And it's like so many firsts. And you're like, oh, he was the first person to think about basically putting a camera on the floor to get better depth. Or it's probably to do that mirror trick that God, everyone does that mirror trick now. Like when yeah. there's a mirror behind the mirror, everyone doing it from music videos to TV shows to commercials. And like nobody was doing that before. So Wells, and it's like so many things that he did first. And you're like, oh, okay, I understand. But um, yeah, and about, there was that really famous one about how about you know there were two people talking, and I think it was his parents talking, and you've got you know young Charles Foster Kane, you know, in the background, yeah. in between, and he's a subject of the conversation, and it's just combining yeah. these this filmmaking technique with you know how it goes along with the story. And yeah, deep focus. So what's in the background and what's in the foreground is are both in focus. Yeah. Exactly. There was also the, there was definitely the whole, you know, this new, because he was actually quite famous. I guess we'll talk about Orson Welles later in the later in the podcast. He was quite famous before he actually came to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And there was a massive, you know, wave of, you know, media and you know, journalists were following up the actual story about this young guy who was in radio, who's, you know, been given full autonomy of, you know, creative control, writing, directing, mm-hmm. you know, for his first movie. So there was definitely some media attention that came with, you know, the decision that the pictures at the time, RKO pictures, you know, did at that you know specific point in time. So I think those all came together and obviously um you know the subject matter of who Charles Foster Kane was you know allegedly based based on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um when William Randolph Hearst, Hearst um WR as is known in the Mank movie so i think all that just all coming together just made just brought this massive wave of attention to the movie I think it's quite easy to watch Citizen Kane and you're thinking this isn't special or why do people consider this you know, one of the greatest movies of all time? I think you just have to remove the fact that, I mean, we're in 2000, I mean, 2021 and in 1941, when this movie came out, this was like so unprecedented, like you said. And just this method of telling a story, you know, all flashbacks, all patched up, and different points of view, bringing it all together. In addition to, you know, the filmmaking techniques of deep focus and weird angles and large ceilings, high ceilings, sorry, just all that in general was like we hadn't seen this before. All that just contributed to it being such an incredible picture. Yeah, so the the writing of Citizen Kane, it's a whole ordeal on its own. So there are two right there are two credited writers on Citizen Kane, Orson Welles 
as we've discussed, and Herman J. Mankiewicz, referred to as Mank. So Herman J. Mankiewicz was a New York playwright and critic, and then he moves to to Hollywood to try and make movies and everything, and he, through different problems, most of it being alcohol, he kind of like, he's quite abrasive. Gambling, yeah. Executives don't want to hire him and everything. But he had worked with Orson Welles while Orson Welles was in theatre, at Mercury Theatre. So Orson Welles brings yeah. him in to his new, this is new film film company. And he signs, a, the contract is that he obviously writes and he gets paid, but he doesn't get any credit on the script, but he's for yeah. his script. And that's that the contract that he signed. I think that was, I guess that was commonplace back then. But God knows what, what the reason was, most, most likely because he realized how good Citizen Kane was as a screenplay. He wanted to have credit and he fought for credit. And he basically changed his mind. And then in 1971, a film critic named Pauline Kale writes this, I don't know, it's not an expose. She writes this piece, this essay about who actually wrote Citizen Kane. And it's called Raising Kane. And she claims that Austin Wars did not write a word of Citizen Kane, that it was all, it was all Mankiewicz. And this, this essay kind of... So, before I carry on, just some background on who Pauline Kale was. So, back in the 60s, 70s, she was like Roger Ebert before Roger Ebert. She could basically make or break a movie mm. with her criticism, with, with, with her criticism. And she had, you know, a massive amount of power in, you know, the Hollywood movie studios with, you know, how she basically felt your movie was to her. Mm. So, yeah. She was well-respected as yeah, well. So she brings out this essay that says that, like, Mankiewicz wrote everything. And that kind of splits the um, film society in half. Like, defenders of us was like, what are you saying? He obviously, like, had a, a hand in this and everything. And and defenders of Mankiewicz mm-hmm. are like, yes, mm-hmm. this is the truth. Like, it's, it's, it was all Mank and everything. And, and look, that her piece has, over the years, has been proven to be very problematic like just no real facts and a lot of things have been disproved a lot of times so like so Fincher David Fincher gives that piece to his dad and is like read this and it leads his dad to write the screenplay of Mank that leads us to David Fincher's new film Mank which is really about Herman J. Mankiewicz it's not about the writing of Citizen King I don't want to describe it like that you might be led to believe that Mank is the story about the writing of Citizen Kane or about Orson Welles and Mank fighting for screenwriting credit. That happens for like five seconds in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This film is about a man doing his best work ever. Um, it's not my favorite Fincher film, as we've discussed. It's not, it's not my top three, but I like this film. It's, it's very unfincher on the face of it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a biopic. In black and white, that's very unfinished. Like, um, I think, um, I think at the at the face of it, yeah. But I think you've kind of kind of peeled and peeled the layers off. It's still about this extremely flawed person, individual who, you know, who has or who kind of realizes. When I put this, it's kind of like the realization of how someone, this deeply flawed guy, kind of finds a sense of purpose in what he's doing along the way so i mean we're talking about you kind of brought up the it's definitely it's definitely not about the whole squabbles of you know who wrote sitting here and stuff i don't think that's kind of what fincher meant um for the picture to be perceived on i think 
what I got from the movie was it was definitely um is um about this you know this you know extremely interesting individual who drank himself you know to his sleep every day gambled who was you know terrible gambler as well who didn't know what good and bad hands were I mean who spoke you know in riddles basically and who had this sense of wit about himself and just him writing this influential innovative script along the way and just his struggles you know with hollywood yeah yeah so like i said so while on the face of it it doesn't like if i told you david finch i was making a movie about the right about the writer that wrote citizen kane it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like seven or five club or social network but i do think there are a lot of themes in the film that are very similar like that that as themes that fincher regularly covers the theme of the theme of obsession is something that fincher covers very regularly in terms of the you have the obsession from the criminals and also the police and law enforcement in seven in Mindhunter in zodiac you have amy dunn's obsession and you can see this you can see this in mankowitz in this character this character is and it's also the theme of genius, right? Geniuses that want credit for their genius. So you have yeah. John Doe from Seven. You have Zuckerberg, obviously. Holden from Mindhunter. Like, mm-hmm. Mankiewicz fits into, into that kind of character, into that, that archetype, because he's he's a genius, and he's written this incredible screenplay, which is, by all accounts, the best he's ever written. And now he wants credit. The same way Zuckerberg wants credit for creating Facebook. Like, he doesn't want you to believe that the Winklevoss created it. He wants you to know that he created it. And the strive for perfection, that's also a regular Fincher theme. He's like, these people want to be perfect. And I think that's very, that's very, that's, that comes down from him himself, from Fincher. I think that's something that Fincher empathizes a lot. Mank has that perfection as well. And then something else that Fincher likes to come back to is the power of powerful people. Like what powerful people are willing to do, which is, which is covered a mm-hmm. lot in social network. In Mank, those people are, identified by the Hollywood studios, by Louis B. Mayer, by, um, those are powerful people that Fincher is like, what is the extent of the power? What can they do? And so, like I said, on the face of it, it doesn't seem like a Fincher film, but like, he covers a lot of his regular themes. And look, like I said, I, I really like this film. So let me finish question to you. What really, what do you like the most about this film? The dialogue. Dialogue. That was my, that was my answer as well. Dialogue. Actually, this episode, we're very, we're very simpatico. Our answers are the same. The, the script was written by Jack Fincher, David Fincher's late father. And the dialogue carries two out of three of my favorite scenes. Which leads me to asking you. My favorite scene was mask my favorite scene was the dinner. The the big party of Louis Louis B. Mayer's um, birthday. That's my that's my second. Yeah. What was your first? My first thing? is the the scene between um Gary Oldman's Mank and Amanda Seyfried's Marion Davies when they're just walking through and talking. So, yeah, the, it's not, that's kind of like the party as well, isn't it? Because they are very close together. It's like a 14-minute 14 14 minute stretch, which is just incredible. Um, watching Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried just walk through and talk for like five minutes, that was the first time I was like, oh, I can't wait to rewatch this film. She was incredible in this movie, by the way. Amanda Seyfried was so good in this movie, and she's gonna deserve her Oscar nomination. She's gonna deserve her hopefully Oscar win. She was really good in this film. Um, 
And then my second honorable mention was at the beginning, you know, when all the writers go to pitch the... That was... <sighs> that was incredible. Okay, there's one more scene. It doesn't make it doesn't make my top scene, but it's very close. And it's the walk and talk. That was just like the walk and talk with uh, Mank, his brother, Joe, Joe Mankiewicz, and Louis Meyer when he's telling him about how MGM is a family. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, Orson Welles in this film has very, very limited screen time. Right. But then he does come in and he, he maybe has probably the most divisive scene of the entire film. Right? It's the one scene that I think people are not really... Do you have any thoughts on that? Good question. I didn't think that was necessary. I think that whole thing could have been cut out. And maybe not cut out, but it could have been done better. I do agree with you. I felt like that was maybe Fincher acknowledging that there was a dispute about who wrote it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it could have there was already enough um story development where he realized that this is not like every every other thing I'm yeah. writing. And I think I think it would be nice if I got some recognition for this. So it could have, for example, ended with him telling other Miss Alexander in an incredible performance from Lily Collins. Lily Collins had this and Emily, Emily Parry in the same year. That's range, man. That, that's range. Um, so, but he, so he could have told her, for example, that I'm going to tell Austin that I want credit. And then we can we it can then cut to their Oscar acceptance speeches. Like we didn't have to see you're right. I I I don't I think that's the one scene I'm like that might be almost like in Fincher being like, Oh, yeah, you guys don't forget that there was a bit of a battle here over who got credit and whatever. But I feel like yeah. because the movie is not occupied at all with that, the movie doesn't care about who gets credit, right? For the first what, ninety minutes or whatever how long that was, it came to be where to just put that in at the end. And I was like, I didn't really yeah, I didn't really like... I didn't really think we needed to even see Wells at all. I think every single... I guess the phone calls with Wells were, you know, pretty, you know, were important to the story. But I think the end was just... He comes in, he's like, what the fuck you want? Why do you want your name on here? He throws something, yeah. throws all the alcohol in on the floor, and he leaves. Just like... So if that actor... I've forgotten his name. He's a British guy. If he wasn't in the movie... And it was just conversations with Wells. I think that was oh, okay, sufficient. Yeah, I think okay, that was fine. Sense. People, people like this movie. But this movie is not a unanimous critical success, right? And is it not? No, no. It's it's like maybe one in three don't like it. One in three idiots. Then I think people are using. Look, I have to make clear that what everything we say on this podcast is just two <laughs> young idiots talking to each other. That could have been another name for our podcast. Two young idiots talking to each other. That's all we are, man. It's just two young idiots talking to each other. We have no, <laughs> we have no evidence. Um, but I feel like kind of what I've read or kind of the the energy I've gauged is that people are using their their preconceived biases. So people that like Wells or adore Wells are like, well, you didn't treat Wells right here, so that that colors how I rate the movie. People that hate Wells and are on Mank's side are like, you did not, you are not more effusive about the, about Mank being the screenwriter. So I don't really like your movie. You get so it's like nobody's judging the movie as the movie. 
Do you have any last things to add? How how do we feel awards wise? I think Jack Jack Fincher will be nominated for best screenplay. I think David Fincher will be nominated for best director. I think Amanda Seyfried will be nominated and Gary Oldman as well. Oh, and Gary Oldman, yes. I think he's not going to win it, but I think in a perfect world, this is the movie he should have won the Oscar for. Not 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 that church, not the darkest hour. This was an incredible performance from Gary Oldman. But I kind of think this is Chadwick's year. I think Chadwick wins the Oscar this year. I will, we'll talk about that obviously in coming weeks. But um, really, he's really good. He's really good in Marine's Black Bottom. He's so good. He's so good in Marine's Black Bottom. Could it? Could this be the first year that a black actor wins best, both best actor and best supporting actor? Because I was really looking at them. Uh, uh, Kaluuya for best supporting actor. I was going to say, I think that's because April 26th, we're recording this February 26th, so there's two months, things could change. But I think it might be Chadwick, best actor, Kaluuya, best supporting actor kind of year. But we'll talk about that as we go on. Um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, they might get the nomination for this for best score and also the best score for Soul, which is like two very different films. This game. Mank, what a movie. I don't really know what else to say. Don't watch it. The way it it, you know, it builds this world of the Hollywood golden age and just the whole, the whole vibe of the whole, you know, movie studios and Hollywood in general. I think, I mean, Hollywood, that's, that's why I'm quite surprised it's not getting a lot more buzz for the Oscars because there's nothing much, I mean, Hollywood just loves movie, movies about Hollywood. Yeah, but it's not really, there's not a love letter to Hollywood. This movie paints Hollywood in a very bad light, if I'm being honest. Good point. Good point. Like everybody involved in Hollywood is bad. Yes. These are terrible. Shit, yeah. yeah, the writers are, are are sad and depressed. Like this is not a this is not a love like this is not la la la. This is like, but yeah, yeah. So um, we would have said this a couple of days ago, and just on our Instagram, we are going to cover in a few movies over the next few weeks. If you guys want to watch them and just get involved in the conversation, that'll be that'll be interesting. Most likely, we can't assure you that we won't go into spoilers on this film. So. Yeah, um So go watch the fucking movies. Yeah, so it's been Citizen Kane, it's been Austin Wells, it's been Mank, it's been David Fincher. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, everyone that's still listening. Shout out to Obira George Fiacho. Shout out to our producers, Ibuka Namani, Chinedu Heji. Shout out to David Fincher for being incredible. And we'll see you guys very soon. When we're going to be talking Aaron Sorkin and Social Network and the trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix. See you guys soon. Please take care. Please take care of yourselves and take the vaccine.